Hi, my name's Paul. My name is Reese. And you're listening to... Oh, shit, that's really good. No Garnish. So today we're drinking Cosmopolitans and we're trying two different ones. We're trying the modern one and we're also trying a recipe from 1934, which I'm going to come back to. Well, okay. that's the 1934 one. Okay. That's good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I like that a lot. It tastes a little bit like a fairground. It tastes a little bit like like your like your mum you like your aunt's boozy raspberry punch or like mm. like trifle. Your, yeah, your aunt's right. yeah. raspberry trifle and she's gone a little bit crazy on the booze. Which is always great because it's Christmas. I hadn't thought of that. It does taste a bit like that. Yeah, because you think the modern one is a is a better flavour, right? I make the old one more than I make the modern one. Ah, oh, do you? Okay. Ah, oh, I thought that you liked the modern one more. No, interesting. I think they're different, but I think they're of the same family. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. The difference. The modern one tastes more modern. The the modern one tastes like the aunt's kind of um, slinky daughter. <laughs> that sounds really wrong, doesn't it? Oh. <laughs> It's <laughs> good use of the word slinky. I yeah. like that. But there's a sort of slinkiness to it. It's lighter. It's yeah. sort of um, more refreshing. It's less heavy. There's less yeah. of a boozy trifleness about it. But the old one has a good good amount of flavour. There's a lot of um, character in the old one yeah. that the new one maybe doesn't have so much. Mm. But I don't know how many of the old ones I could drink. I could drink lots of the new ones. I think the Cosmopolitan is a very sessionable cocktail. Yeah. As in, you can have quite a few. Yeah. You can, you can get sort of sophisticatedly drunk at yeah. <laughs> some sort of model party or something. Which is what a lot of people were doing in the 80s. Right, right, yeah. right. So which do you prefer? Um, I think the old one tastes a little bit medicinal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the modern. I mean, this is interesting for me because this is the first time I've ever had a Cosmopolitan. I really enjoy it. I could, I could yeah. drink quite a few of those on a rooftop mm. in New York or somewhere sort of like classy yeah i i can see like and i get it's a sort of fruity drink i can i can see getting quite pissed and quite like fruity fruity like i have like different characters when i get drunk i think if i drank that i can imagine like yeah like captain flamingo coming out or something do you know what i mean i can imagine captain like flamingo yeah it's like it's pink like a flamingo and i could like i'm you know i'm gay so my campness ekes out depending on what drinks i've had and i could imagine i don't know six six or eight of those and <laughs> mr mr bloody like fruity fruity barfly just fly <laughs> It's got a real image of Captain Flamingo. <laughs> like, oh, darling, another cosmopolitan. Cosmos all round, darling. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I say six to eight. I mean, you know, you look to me like, wow, okay. Or maybe, maybe four. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Flamingo. Come He'll come out, out at four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll be flying by eight. Yeah. But he's, he's out at four. Yeah, he just popped his head out at four. <laughs> you, can, you can hear that. Oh, coming out like, yeah it probably started with like oh god I just absolutely love your hair <laughs> what you've done with your hair you know I mean? like yeah that's probably how it would start and then I would just get more and more and then and then probably after eight probably start getting really really like seedy <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? I can imagine <laughs> I'm not painting a very good picture of myself am I really well it's accurate <laughs> 
That's the main thing. As long as it's honest. As long as it's accurate. <laughs> so, shall I tell you a bit about the Cosmopolitan? Yeah, yeah definitely. I'd love to, love to hear about it. So, the Cosmopolitan is generally regarded as the first of the modern classic cocktails. And we're coming out of cocktails dark ages, which were the 70s and 80s. It's hard to pinpoint the exact time the Cosmopolitan was created because various people claim to have created it at different times. So, the first person to claim having created the Cosmopolitan is a guy called Neil Murray in Minnesota in 1979. There's a bit of a cast of characters here, okay. so do your best to, to keep track. Yeah. Okay, so Neil Murray. Neil Murray, Minnesota, 1979. He's a university student, he's working as a bartender, and he says he created the drink as a cross between a kamikaze and a Cape Codder. So he took the cranberry from a Cape Codder and added it to a kamikaze right. and called it a cosmopolitan. Right. That's his story. But anyway, so Neil Murray says he then moved to San Francisco and that's where the drink got popular in the gay bars of San Francisco in the early 80s. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. That's kind of quite believable, I think. Well, then you've got another guy called John Kane and he says he discovered the Cosmopolitan in Cleveland, which is nowhere near Minnesota, and he says he took it to San Francisco. Oh, okay. Right, okay. He says, I didn't invent it, I just, right. I found it, but I took it to San Francisco. So immediately he's contradicting Neil Murray. Both right. of them claim that they took it to San Francisco. Okay, so let me, let me write down the case notes so that we can kind of decide. <laughs> so what, what year is Neil Murray claiming? 1979. 1979. Um, and then what's... John Kane, early 80s. Oh, okay. So he's saying early 80s, so after. Yeah. Okay. So first claim, Neil Murray. Second claimant is Cheryl Cook, who says she invented the Cosmopolitan in 1985 in Miami. The thing with Cheryl Cook is her times don't add up when okay. I've kind of tried to research this. Like in one version, she invented it in 1985, but then in another version, she says she called it the Cosmopolitan after a 1989 copy of Cosmopolitan that she's in. So that, those two times don't add up. Oh, so she's saying that because she was in Cosmopolitan... That's why it's called a Cosmopolitan. What, what, what's she famous for? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm instantly dubious of this person. She's in the hospitality industry. Okay. She's running okay. restaurants. She, yeah, I don't like her story as much. I don't think, yeah, I don't think people do like her story as much. <laughs> I and don't know she, And what. she also links it, she also links it to Madonna and Sandra Bernhard, who were, like, they were hanging out a lot, and they helped popularise the Cosmopolitan in the late 80s. So she was saying she was serving it to them in Miami, okay. and also says that set designers for Sex in the City, which comes into the story later she was also serving them so she's linked it to other people who are linked to the story of the cosmopolitan but the general feeling is her story doesn't add up so well as the other people's i don't know i to play devil's advocate now i think her story has more technical kind of mechanics in it because you've got you've got the kind of like the claim to fame if she's serving the circles of madonna and the set designers of sex in the city in that era and then the fact that it was in Cosmopolitan, the the magazine, that kind of like I can see how like you know like how nicknames come about for people like you know like 
one of the dogs I look after is, you know, called, uh, I call him Jimmy Two Shoes. No, I call him Jimmy Two Poos because he always has two poos. And then they got changed to Jimmy Two Shoes because, you know, you know, it's just sort of like things like that, you know, so that, that kind of, I can imagine like, you know, Madonna going like, oh my God, you know, like you're so, is that how Madonna speaks? I have no idea actually, like, oh my God, you know, you're just so amazing. Like, oh, Cosmo over here, like she makes the best cocktails. She's in Cosmopolitan and then, you know, everyone goes, oh yeah, Cosmo, like, you know, and starts calling her Cos- Cosmo, you know. And then it expands out, goes into those circles and becomes like a big, a big cocktail hit. I can kind of, I can see that, but I... Well, that is the story, but that's someone else's story. Right. That's the third person's story. Oh, there's a third person. I thought, I thought that was, I thought we had the three people. No, John Kane, he just contradicts the first guy. He doesn't claim to have invented it. Oh, I see. He just claims to have been the one, he claims to be the one who took it to San Francisco. Oh, I see. Okay. Again, can we get one of those, like, you know, like you see in CSI and stuff where they have, like, the string, the red yeah, string, and, all like, all the photos and stuff? And, like... Yeah. So let me tell you about the third person. So the third claim is a guy called Toby Caccini, and he says that he invented the Cosmopolitan in New York in 1988. And his story... And this guy, Toby Caccini is generally regarded by most people as the person who created the Cosmopolitan. So he's talked about this. I'm going to read you a bit of Mm. him talking about this. Okay. So Toby Caccini says, There was a terrible drink called the Cosmopolitan making the rounds at gay bars in San Francisco in the mid-80s. In 1988, a girl who worked with me had friends from San Francisco visiting New York and they showed her this drink. It was gross, but it looked pretty and I went about reconstructing it. We were always making drinks for the staff, so I started serving it to the waitresses. They were crazy about it. It became our staff drink, and soon the staff started turning the regulars onto it. The Odeon at the time was a stronghold of names. Madonna and Sandra Bernhardt were there every day. I was 25, and they would be like, Boyfriend, give us more of that pink drink. During the 80s, it was a cooler, more local crowd ordering Cosmopolitans. By the early 90s, the drink had died down, and then Sex in the City featured it 10 years later. It just came roaring back. Everyone and their mum, tourists visiting, sorority girls, they wanted a cosmopolitan. I mean, you could get them at bowling alleys. I was becoming, among bartenders, known as the asshole who invented that pink drink that we are now enslaved by. <laughs> I understood the sentiment. I literally was slinging hundreds of them a night. It was deplorable. Wow. So he's kind of... He's taking credit, but also kind of disowning it in a way. Yeah, I, and I think actually, like, um, there's a real funny actually because there's a real sort of Britishness in that <laughs> in that story. Like, like is he British? Because I feel like that's such a British mm-hmm. thing to do to be like, I invented this thing and I hate it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas like the other woman is like really American about it. Like I invented this thing and like you know, it's amazing and, and, you know, I'm not saying that like all Americans are like that, but it's kind of like a very sort of British thing is to be sort of very like down on your achievements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, and, and, and so being British, I feel like I believe that more than the other one. Um, but I think I can see the, the I, can, I think I can see what's happened here. I'm going to give you one more little, little bit. So Dale DeGroff, who is the head bartender at the Rainbow Room in New York, he doesn't claim to have invented the Cosmopolitan, but his recipe became the standard recipe. In his own words, he says, what I really did to change the game with Cosmopolitans was an orange peel on top. No one else had done that. <laughs> I love it. So he added the flamed orange component to um, 
to Cosmopolitans. And and is that does that change the flavour of it quite a bit? It affects the flavour, yeah. Does it? Yeah. Because I it's saw more, you... his version is much more balanced than Toby Caccini's, to be oh, honest. Okay. Because yeah. I saw um, you you do the flaming orange, and I think that's just amazing. There's a whole thing with the cocktails, which is like, yes, okay, you've got the purity of like the spirits and the drink itself, but. We do look with our eyes. We do taste with our eyes. We definitely look with our eyes. But yeah, we definitely taste with our eyes. It, it, it everything about it, just you know. And then you, 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 you kind of you're excited to see that. And I love that with cocktails. That kind of like, you know, it sort of gears you up for it. And then I, I think that's really interesting. Let I, me give you a couple of other. We're not done yet. We're not done there's, yet. I love it. There's like, more to the story. Okay. Like um, the X Files. I was just gonna. As kind of Toby Caccini sort of said, like the, the drink became popular in the late 80s. By the early 90s, it had died down. And then Sex in the City brought it back because it was the drink that they were always drinking in that. And Candice Bushnell, who was the writer of Sex in the City, says about that. She says, back in the late 80s, early 90s, Brett Easton Ellis and I were going out every night. And one night we started drinking them. And I pretty much made everyone else drink them too. I suppose it was my signature drink. And because Carrie was my alter ego, she naturally had to drink them as well. So all these stories about the Cosmopolitan being created in the 80s. And no one mentions that there's a Cosmopolitan from 1934 that bears more than a passing similarity to the modern one. I I would say it's definitely in the same... It's in the same family. It uses slightly different ingredients. It uses lemon and gin instead of vodka and lime. And it uses a bit of raspberry syrup to make it pink instead of cranberry. I mean, it's a pink drink called the Cosmopolitan from 50 years before anyone said they invented it. (laughs) And I don't... I think someone's being a bit disingenuous there. Right, right, right. Well, they're claiming that they've invented it, but actually it's a very, very old... They're, they're basically reinventing the wheel. That's my theory. Okay, that's interesting. Actually, I'm just as a disclaimer as well, I've just drunk one of those Cosmopolitans and I'm feeling pretty drunk already. Wow, just okay. after one. So as a disclaimer, I don't think I could get to eight of those. But um, <laughs> I think it's really interesting, this story do my deductive work they all have a part to play they all have a stake to claim into it yeah. imagine the first two guys they could have quite easily brought the same drink down I mean there's there's a lot of people in the world but mm. I like the idea that they're kind of you know a little bit like Shakespeare they all have a part to play in it yeah but actually yeah. it's just what they've done is they've just put a slight twin tinge on a very old drink <laughs> that's my gut feeling yeah there. I like yeah. that though interesting yeah. isn't it yeah yeah Interesting kind of um, narrative to it all. Yeah. And also it's kind of, it's a sort of strange idea, isn't there, with kind of just taking claim for something like that. Like, what what benefit do you have to have a claim to that? Yeah. You can't copyright it, can you? <laughs> you can't like, have no. a royalty on every time someone makes a cosmopolitan. It's, it's cachet, isn't it? It's just, oh yeah, I'm the person who invented that. This thing that everyone has heard of. But then when people say say something like that, where it's like it's like, oh, I'm the first person who invented that joke. And it's like, well, yeah. how do you know? Like, like unless you've got like a patent on it, 
<laughs> yeah, because you, know. you can't, you know, you can't copyright recipes. Because recipes change. People kind of, oh, a bit less of this, a bit more of that. And it's the same drink, but it's changed it a bit, which is kind of what Dale Groff did. He kind of jigged around the proportions of Toby Caccini's version. But at least he doesn't say, well, I created it. Yeah. Because even Toby Caccini, in his story, says, no, this drink came to me from San Francisco. Yeah. I, I didn't like it, but I thought there was something there, so I jigged around with it. Yeah. So all these people have just jigged around, like you said, with yeah. something yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of has existed since the 1930s at yeah, least yeah 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 interesting and that's the sort of uh interesting thing about cocktails in themselves that as well isn't there that kind of like idea that they're so linked to society they're so linked to sort of social gathering to um you know the sort of movement of people the movement the fashions of time things becoming fashionable you know they're very like iconic of their eras aren't they you know just like food food is and fashion and what people wear and the type you know it's got kind of interesting with like when you think about fashion because I'm thinking of cosmopolitan and, and fashion are very synonymous with each other aren't they that um, you know when a new fabric is invented suddenly that can, can change the whole remit of fashion a new colour is invented or something you know something that you know we kind of think like yeah. oh you know we could, you can never invent a new colour and then someone invents a new colour and then all of a sudden everyone's wearing it everyone's wearing it five ten years later and everyone's yeah. making a claim that they invented it well, all of this comes back to the kind of theme that I'm sort of thinking of for this episode, which is credit where credit's due. Ah, oh, interesting. My question to you is, is there an instance where you feel you should have got credit for something and didn't? Well, that's interesting because, um, funnily enough, I'm going to talk about my mother again. Um, there's because a pattern I did this emerging last, here. Yeah, there's a pattern, isn't there? Like, um, I hope it's not like a, who's the guy from um, the horror film? Uh, uh, Norman Bates. Norman Bates. Oh, there isn't a Norman Bates type thing happening here. But funnily enough, my mother like um, did this amazing thing when I was a teenager. It was absolutely incredible. She she worked as an art teacher for a really long time, 30, 30 odd years. And it was in a secondary school. And it was in a sort of last few years. And um, what she made with the students was a massive dragon that they set on fire with loads of fireworks in it. It was incredible. When we're talking about a large dragon, we're talking about the size of a, a sort of a large sailboat. Wow. You know, like, like 30, 40 foot and about like 30 foot high, I'm guessing. It was massive. <laughs> and it was all made out of scrap wood. And then it had like several hundred pounds worth of fireworks in it. And it had a huge like fire thing next to it as well. And they had to like, they built it, they had to like have security, all the students had to camp overnight because they just didn't want anyone to set fire to it yeah. before the show. And the reason why she did that is because there was this huge kind of grant initiative because this, the school had had this big music hall built onto it. And the government were giving the school a lot of money for the performing arts. And my mom was like, well, I'm in the art department. And kind of felt, as art, art teachers always do, that all this money that gets given to schools, the art departments never really get. It's, it's, a, mm. it's a long running thing. And she said, well, why aren't we getting some of that massive grant money? And they went, well, because you're, you know, the, this is for music. And my mom was like, well, I can prove to you that the arts is performance as well that art is performance so they went okay we'll prove it then and she she came up with this idea to make this kind of um dragon and they got loads of sponsors involved they got the wood donated my father who um 
is you know my father worked in building and construction all his life um you know built several houses he got involved and all the students as well there's a, a whole like team of students got involved and and then everyone came down and the funny thing was is that my mom wanted the students to kind of choose where the um the fireworks would start and uh, they had all the fireworks coming out of its butt <laughs> to start with because oh, they wow. thought that would be really funny and my mom was like, yeah, that's great, you know. And then it all started spewing out of its mouth mm. and everything. And anyway, at the end of it, so considering that, you know, the head of the school, you know, other other people involved in all of it. So all the people that didn't believe in, in my mom that she could do something like this. When it came to the, you know, the local TV and news networks, you know, coming to, to film it and the, and the uh, journalists for the papers and everything, they interviewed them and they all took credit for it and didn't mention my mom at all. Wow. My mom was not mentioned on the news or anything. And she was the person who did it all. And I said to her after, like, are you really sad about that? And I think that probably, I think she probably was, but she just said, no, no, it's fine because it's not about me. The thing of it was to claim that art could be a part of the performance mm. section of the grant and everything. But there was a sort of a bitter end to it, I thought, in, in that mm. regard. But I think she was just kind of like, well, I've had a whole lifetime of that working in education. And it's just, that is life for a mm. lot of people. Mm. Have you have you ever had anything like this? Did you know the video game Track and Field? Yeah. I invented that. Did you? Yeah. Right. Wow. I came up with the idea, as a kid, I came up with the idea right. of a running game where you had to press buttons really quickly. Right, right. And then when Track and Field came out, I was like, that's my fucking game. <laughs> I invented that. How did you know that you invented it, though? Because I came up with the idea before it came out. <laughs> yeah, but surely someone else could have come up with the idea as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not being entirely serious. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I also invented, and I've got evidence for this, I also invented Red Dead Redemption. Really? Oh, wow. That's one of my favourite games. <laughs> how, how did you invent it? I kept back in the 90s. PlayStation magazine used to do this little feature every month about, um, I don't know, like it should be a game or something. Right. And I sent them the idea for an open world Western RPG. Right. And they printed it. Right. And went, this is a fucking brilliant idea. This is a, the, <laughs> such a good idea. Right. Yeah, someone really should make this. Right, right. And then years later, Red Dead Redemption comes Oh, nice. Out. Oh, I like it. But I kept a copy of that magazine. So it's like, <laughs> you can see, that's my idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not being entirely serious. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah. plenty of people also had that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But kind of, you know, you, you've come up with an idea and then years later it's like this huge thing and you're like, it's my idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had Definitely. that years ago. And you never know. It might have been some guys flicking through that magazine and the season goes that is a really good idea yeah definitely yeah I can yeah. actually code and know how to make video games and maybe you know there's many people can have good ideas yeah yeah, yeah there's yeah. a big difference between having the idea and actually doing something with it yes definitely and definitely. obviously I never did anything with those yeah 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 ideas so I can't claim any credit well, it's you know, I do know that, and and like yeah. and like the other thing is now as well, isn't it? Like you know, I always think of the there's like a you know the Arctic Monkeys, you know, um, there's a sort of lyric, all the people talking about what they're going to do uh, instead of actually going to do it. You know, there's a phrase in that, isn't now. I hear a lot in the comic scene, you know, because I'm a comic book artist, of people going like, oh yeah, I had that idea, oh you know, and it's like yeah, but did you make that idea? And I think you know to 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 follow through with it and to push through all of those hurdles requires so many many so many things doesn't it yeah 
a person can think of an idea instantly, but to make it can take months or years. Or but I love your stories. Like, that's really funny. That's really like the Red Dead. The Red Dead's really interesting because wouldn't that be amazing? Like I was like I like this idea that you know when when a person dies they get to sort of see a little bit like in a computer game when you when you get the god cheat mm. and you get to go behind all of the walls of the game and you get to see everything. I always imagine like wouldn't that be cool at the end of your life if you get to do that and you get to sort of see how maybe like as a person like the butterfly effect how are you yeah. saying that in PlayStation magazine them printing that and it's cool that they printed that. I mean that's an achievement in itself, isn't it? That's a cool thing to have. Yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah, some developer looking at it and going that's a really good idea. Or, or the guy who, who had Rockstar or owns Rockstar looking at it and going, wow, yeah, okay, that's and pinning it on his board and that's the next project we're going to do. You should have gone into computer game making. That would have been quite I, good. I, 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 yeah, but I'm just rubbish at... <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, so credits where credit's due and the Cosmopolitan, we've got to talk about Madonna though and the fact that she has just taken so much over the years, like voguing, and she pretty much just takes everything and just claims it as her own. It's just like, I invented it. I invented music. Oh, I invented pop music. Whoa, 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 whoa. Does she? Does she do that? And then she fell off the stage with a, with a big... <laughs> with a big cape. This is like Madonna. Please, can you just put down the crown and just give it to someone else? Like you've had the crown for thirty, forty years. You're the queen of pop. We all know it. But you've fallen off the stage in your big cape. <laughs> can you please just go to bed? Well, I was looking up some Madonna stuff. I was, I was actually looking, trying to find reference with her in the Cosmopolitans. And I, all I kept, so I was do, typing in things like Madonna drinking. Right. And what I kept finding was like pictures of her in an ice bath drinking her own urine. <laughs> Well, that's definitely something new. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And, and I couldn't work out if she was... Because it looked like it could have either been green tea or it could have been urine. <laughs> and I thought, is she just drinking green tea but saying she's drinking her own oh, urine? Oh, probably, yeah. But she yeah, was definitely yeah. in an ice bath. Right, right, right. Okay. But, it, but again, well, was that like a new health thing? Like, Because there was a whole health thing. I yeah. remember seeing a programme about a woman who looked incredibly young. She looked like she was about late 30s, early 40s, but she was like 65. And and yeah. she, she drank her own urine every day. She drank about, she quaffed about two pints of it every day <sighs> wow. and put it on her face. Um, but then I thought, like, if you're drinking that much of your own urine, it's probably actually quite pure, isn't it? <laughs> it's probably been filtered through so yeah. many times that you can quaff it onto your face. But she looked amazing. I thought, like, God, is that the trick to just well, bathe in piss? Oh, yeah, because Madonna, you know, in those pictures, it's like, she's 61. Yeah. She looks amazing. She does. She looks like she's in her 30s in those like, pictures. Like her and Cher, isn't it? It's just insane. Yeah. Well, Cher's well, another one, isn't it? I find just... She looks a bit more disturbing. <laughs> she looks a bit more dystopian, like a sort of future <laughs> robot. <laughs> kind yeah. of like, yeah. like the Terminator come back. <laughs> but like, I can imagine there's a lot of people listening to this who are, are like really pissed off at me for being so... Um, condescending about Madonna because she is the queen of pop because because in the, one of my favorite shows Pose um 
you know, which is all about that uh, New York drag ball scene. And it goes into like the lives, you know, and Paris is Burning, which is the real documentary about it. Just the lives that those people had, you know, a lot of them were, you know, black or kind of um, in a racial minority. And they would also be like trans, transgender, um, you know, very impoverished. You know, minorities within minorities, you know, going up against the world and everything. And they had these kind of balls. And I really recommend watching Paris is Burning because I, oh, I just felt it so heartfelt. Like, just the life, the hard lives that people have. And they had these balls to kind of uplift themselves and to give them a moment where they could feel special and they would like, you know, dress up and they would, you know, and they would do this voguing as a sort of expression and they would kind of, you know, throw shapes at each other and throw these poses and who, who could do the best poses and everything. And then I think the narrative is that, you know, Madonna, Madonna's marketing team, or whatever, kind of plucked that up and took that and then you had the you know the music video Vogue and everything and I think I think the way that Pose the TV um, show dramatises it you know they all felt like wow god you know this is our moment this is you know our culture is being shown on the world stage but like you know anything like the, the fickle motions of fashion is that you know when that sunbeam comes on you and you've got the spotlight on you and then what does it feel like when the spotlight's moved off to the mm. next thing and then the person who's controlling that spotlight has made so much money, but mm. the people who came up with it haven't, you know. And that's often the sort of thing that, you know, usually happens, doesn't it, within the creative industry. People don't get credited. The right people don't make the money. It's, yeah. it's, it's everyone else around it who's kind of snatched it up and kind of gone, wow, that's really cool. Let's make it into a lunchbox and a toy range and a everything. And God, it's a bit depressing. Oh, God, I'm, a de- I'm being depressing tonight, aren't I? <laughs> The thing is, I was never a big Madonna fan, actually. And, you know, I I go against a lot of um, gay cultural stuff, you know, growing up gay. Like, one of the things that kind of is quite untypical is that I was massively into thrash and death metal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, and also, like, you know, Sex in the City, I did watch it a little bit, but I didn't massively watch it like a lot of people who who are gay that I know like I actually I did watch um, Desperate Housewives but that's because I really fancied the gardener in it so um, you know um, and Sex and the City like Mr Big he just annoyed me my the best um, way that I've ever heard Sex and the City described is on uh, Family Guy I think it was Uh, someone might want to check this but I'm pretty sure it's Family Guy and (laughs) One of them referred, I think it was the dog, referred to it like as like, what is this program? Oh, it's about um, four prostitutes and their mum. <laughs> I just thought that's just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the best Family Guy joke of. Yeah, it is actually. I'm not a big fan of Family Guy, no, but I just flicked over to that, and it's kind of a truth to it as well, isn't yeah. it? They were yeah. like, they weren't like prostitutes, but there was like, it was kind of like. No, they weren't. No. That's, what, that's why I find it funny because they weren't really like <laughs> prostitutes. Although I think Samantha, the the older one, she was like a sort of a cougar, wasn't she? Yeah. And she was like, yeah. you know, is she? The, so who's the mum? Because she's the mum. The, she was the, the oldest, wasn't she? They're almost like Power Rangers, how the Power Rangers have to combine to make all the Power Rangers to fight the enemy. They all had to combine to fight Mr. Big, who was like the the boyfriend enemy guy. And if they could all like... And and if they had an episode where they did that, where they all went... Joined together, like like um, carries the head. Samantha's like the boot. (laughs) Like a really big handbag comes out. That's amazing. You're absolutely right. 
It's basically Power Rangers. <laughs> like a really, Sex in the City is Power Rangers. Like a really feminist, like like career version of Power Rangers. Like like not like like fem like modern career woman nineties kind of like we don't need no man sort yeah. of thing. That's how, that's how I always saw the show. Like as an outsider looking in, maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. Wasn't it that sort of double standard of we don't need men but we do. Yeah, we don't <laughs> need them but we want them. Yeah, was it, is that right? We I don't need so, them yeah. but we do want them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we sort of we we don't need them, but we do want them, but we don't want them to be as as men actually are. Because the, actually, I've never met any guy that is like those guys in those shows. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the sort of interesting thing. But maybe it's because I don't hang out with those sort of people. You know, funny enough, being a heavy metaler, I actually hang out with incredibly like sensitive kind of yeah. <laughs> like respectful people of other people. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you want to be assholes, yeah, go into like high high cutthroat fashion and um, advertising and banking and all of that sort of stuff, I guess. And and the, yeah. she was a writer for a magazine talking about her sex life, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it sort of being single in New York or in New York, Manhattan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which kind of like in context now is just Grindr, isn't it? Grindr and uh, Tinder. It's, it's pre-internet, isn't it? Pre-internet, yeah. Pre-internet dating. I think the first ever internet date in a movie... I like to fact check this as well. Maybe later is um, probably uh, you got mail with uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yeah, I did actually watch it one Christmas, and I found it thoroughly charming. And it was kind of like, yeah, it was really. I think the most charming thing was just seeing an email come up on a computer from the nineties, <laughs> like a really clunky, like, mm. oh, you've got an email. Oh my god, electronic yeah. mail. Before we started recording, you were talking about how cocktails are really out of fashion. But the Cosmopolitan made them fashionable, is that right? It started off the beginning of the kind of craft cocktail movement. Like, the craft of cocktails had kind of been lost. Right. You know, it was kind of sugary, sweet sugary, neon-coloured drinks. Right. People weren't using fresh juices. So very synonymous of the 80s, wasn't it? This kind of whole manufactured, like, you know, the 80s was the era of the first ever pre-packed sandwich wasn't it and so using like not fresh ingredients is very synonymous isn't it with the 80s you know things looked good but they they didn't really taste good yeah that's interesting so why do you think cocktails now are so much more interesting and improved cocktails have become people have become much more interested in them i think overall but I may, not to the level that you are, because you're very, very like interested and invested into the whole culture and the whole history and the taste of them. And actually, as a result, I've not really tasted cocktails on the on the um, in town like I have yours. Like yours have always been so much more interesting and finessed. Like, well, thank you. And also, I think you know, going back to the kind of uh, the idea of like you know the theatre of it, something that makes your cocktail so much more richer is that you know about the history and the stories of them and where the ingredients have come from and everything. And when you've told me about them, I've realised that actually my maybe my flavour profiles I don't really quite understand as much. And when you've pointed out some of the flavours, a bit like wine tasting or anything, you know, and since buying a decanter, suddenly the taste of wine is so much different, so much nicer. You bought a decanter. Yeah. Wow. The reason why we got a, a decanter is because I realised that if we didn't finish a bottle of wine the next day, it just tasted so much nicer. 
Especially when you're buying it from a corner shop or something. Okay. Just <laughs> putting it in context now. I've got a decanter for my corner shop wine. I'm not a savage. I've got a decanter. Um, yeah, I know. It's not like I've got like some wine vault cellar. You know, like when I was like in my 20s, we used to go to Easy Hours and buy the two for a fiver wine or whatever. And, it, you know, it would have like crystals in it. And actually, like, that wine would make me kind of strangely aggressive. Not like I'm going to town and, and want to cause a fight, but it would make me kind of quite boisterous, quite sort of, like, a bit over the top, really. And I think it's because of all the sort of horrible chemicals and all the kind of crap that's in it. Yeah, I remember someone telling me about, like, it's cheap Italian wines and how where those grapes are growing. It's basically like a rubbish dump of, like, you know, used syringes and condoms all over right. the place. Right. And going, yeah, you know, and then that gets drawn into the earth, which goes into the grapes, and that's why that wine will give you a headache. Because <laughs> it's used condoms and syringes. And, I, and I've kind of, and she was going, yeah, you know, those two for a fiver wines, yeah. don't touch them yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's where they come from. And I, I, they did always give me a headache. Yeah. So I do avoid them. Oh god, yeah, <laughs> completely, completely. What was the, what what age did you start drinking? I was thinking about this the other day. And I was thinking, well, the first cocktails would have been drinking snowballs. Do you know snowballs? Oh, snowball. Advocan lemonade. And so the, the story was, I kind of don't really remember this, but so I was very little. Right. This was back in the 70s. Remember in the 70s, people used to give kids alcohol. <laughs> right, right. It'd be good for them. And so I was quite young, somewhere between five and seven. Oh, wow. Okay. Like really young. And the story was that I drank too many snowballs one Christmas, tore off all my clothes and ran around pretending to be Tarzan. <laughs> oh, that's quite sweet. <laughs> I was really into Tarzan at the time. Right, right, right. Like the old Tarzan that had that... Oh, right. oh, oh, and God, I, and doing, I loved doing that. You do a really good Tarzan as well. That, right, right. I remember doing that not that Tarzan call I loved doing that as a right, kid right, right. and would really belt it out as well come on go on do it no I'm not going to do it can we do can we have that as the beginning of the show <laughs> you just go oh I can't do it you see <laughs> oh yeah it's funny it's like isn't a it? jungle yodel isn't it it's, it's basically it's a yodel I don't know who came up with that Tar- Tarzan's yodel sounds like a euphemism Something. It sounds like a bad 80s cocktail. <laughs> it does actually, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first time you got really drunk. That's quite that's quite young, isn't it? Yeah. Like Yeah, yeah. It it was young, but like I said, it was the seventies. But yeah, it's been really interesting hearing about the cosmopolitan, you know, the kind of like who done it um of the cosmopolitan and it was a really nice way of having my first ever cosmopolitan as well and as a gay man oh, cool. uh, in my mid-30s having a cosmopolitan for my first time i feel i feel like i'm you know what am i doing to my kind <laughs> you know, i don't like madonna i've never had a cosmopolitan i don't like sex in the city i'm like the anti-gay of gay <laughs> <laughs> um, but so maybe this is good, this is good cathartic stuff. Maybe you know I will go and watch all of Sex and the City now while I work. That could be a good thing. And it's interesting you were talking about the dark ages of cocktails as well, like the yeah. medieval. Like because <laughs> you know, when you said that, I was imagining what like people in like knights gear, <laughs> like around the knights table drinking old cosmopolitan <laughs> medieval cocktail hour. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, he chose poorly. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. Um, cheers. 
Do you want to talk about Madonna falling down the stairs? <laughs> I really do. I don't know. That's the thing really cruel about me, isn't it? I felt really sorry for her, but I couldn't help but watch it on loop over and over and over. <laughs>